In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes to erase the separation that we have between Him so that we might erase the separation that we have with one another. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in 2005, the rock and roll band, The Hold Steady, had released an album called Separation Sunday. And Separation Sunday was a concept album, which means that it's an album that tells a story in the space of its 11 tracks. And the story that is told in the, the Separation Sunday album is about this girl named Hallelujah. Her parents were, were very religious. They named her Hallelujah, although most of the time she went by Holly. And, uh, and it seems like Holly grew up kind of in this religious environment. She grew up going to church, but then she gets involved with the wrong people. She gets involved with the wrong people and she starts getting into this party scene. She starts getting into this scene where uh, she starts doing drugs. She starts doing all sorts of, of things that she shouldn't be doing. And as a result of that, she starts to sort of follow this party scene around from city to city. And uh, it seems like what happens is she leaves her parents without telling them at all where she's going. And, uh, and by the last track, we, we get this information that all of the people at Hallelujah's Church have been looking desperately for her. They have been putting up signs all over the place. They've been putting up signs on, on uh, stop signs and, and in different places that say, Have you seen Holly? And, and uh, they do this, it seems like, for several years until finally, they, it seems like they, they finally give up. They say, uh, she, she must be dead. Uh, we can't find her. Uh, we're just finally going to give up. And uh, the, the, the last song says that they, they make a mural for her and, and says, hallelujah, rest in peace. And, and so there's this moment for the people in Hallelujah's lives, that they feel that she has died. She, she's dead. She's gone. They don't know what happened to her, but they know that she's not around anymore. And it's at that last track of the album that we find out something surprising. And this surprising thing is that Hallelujah has finally, at least it seemed, sobered up a little bit, and she comes walking into her old church, on Easter Sunday. And the way that the lyrics go is she walks into this church on Easter Sunday and the priest kind of, it seems, chuckles as she's walking up the aisle with her hair done up in broken glass, limping left on broken heels. And she looks at the priest and she says, Father, can I tell your congregation how a resurrection really feels? As she arrives in that place that everybody in there has assumed that she's been dead, and here she is, alive in front of them all. Well, you can kind of imagine what it would be like for the people in that congregation when they saw Holly limping up on that aisle. 
the bewilderment that they must have had, the, the sense of, well, is that really her? It's been so long. Is that really her? Is it just somebody that looks like her? Or if, if that is her, then what has she been doing all of this time? And what, why does she look the way that she looks? And you can imagine all of the questions that might come out of that experience and all of the different ways in which people would react to Holly. And while there maybe would be some people in that congregation that would react to Holly in a way that would open up their arms wide and give her a hug, there would certainly be some people in that congregation that would have a degree of separation on that Sunday. They would have this degree of feeling perhaps betrayed by her. All of the all of the emotion that they felt, all of the investment that they had put into her now seemed cheapened by her reappearance. And what was she doing for all of that time? In fact, one of the song lines says that the deacon got a draft of her, meaning that as she was walking up that she probably didn't smell the best. And what would that mean in in her life and how people reacted to her? That's just a picture of how separation can happen. And here in these readings that we have, we have that sense of separation that's at work. Here we start off with this reading from Acts, this very interesting reading from Acts, which is actually a retelling. We don't really get that sense of it because uh, we, we don't have the other reading, but we actually were right alongside of Peter for this story when it happened the first time. When it happened the first time, just a couple of chapters earlier, we, we get this sense of, well, this is what happened to Peter, and we have a few more details. But here, in this reading, in Acts 11, we're, we're not talking about the event itself anymore. Instead, what we're talking about is we're talking about this moment in which there is a separated group in the church, the circumcision party, that has come to Peter and has sort of asked him accusingly, what have you been doing? Why have you been eating with these Gentiles? And as a result of that question, he has to retell this story. Retell this story of why he established table fellowship with this Roman centurion, this person that would have been seen as an enemy of Israel, And how he came to even baptize them into the faith. What we see in this reading is that there's the beginnings here of separations in the church. And the beginnings of this separation in the church even has to do with a long-standing separation. The separation between Jew and Gentile that we probably have a really difficult time understanding as Christians in 2022. But it was a very real thing to have that separation between Gentiles and Jewish people. 
And so you have this beginning of this set of readings that starts off with how there is this separation at work. And we're not much different, actually, as Christians today. We still have separations in our lives. Maybe they're not quite so neatly drawn around certain ethnic or racial barriers, or maybe even sometimes they are. Some people have said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in our nation, where as we look around, how many different races do we see in any church that we might go to? There's that sense of separation, but there's other senses of separation as well. We separate one another in terms of Uh, the separations of our socioeconomic level. We separate in terms of the things that we're interested in. We separate in terms of all sorts of different things. We know what it's like for there to be separations. Separations of people that maybe we might not even welcome into this place, maybe people that we would treat like Holly if they walked up the aisle in order to find a seat. And yet we know from the gospel that there is an an expansiveness to God's grace. That the separations in our lives often happen because of our pettiness. They happen because we are so narrow, not because God is narrow. And that's what we begin to see as we look at the reading from Revelation. This uh, reading from Revelation where uh, John is experiencing this moment where he's hearing God speak to him about what the end of time will be like, what the resurrection will be like. And he says this sort of, this sort of thing that is easy to, to gloss over, I think. He says, and there will no longer be any sea. He, he says that there, there won't be any sea. And, and you start to go, well, why does John say that? Does that mean that there's not going to be any bodies of water in the resurrection? And I don't think that that's what John is meaning. I mean, it could be that we get to the resurrection and there are no more lakes and there are no more oceans and there are no more things like that. But those are all things that God created initially. And so I think that they would be there. But rather, when you think about who John is, then his saying that makes sense. So John is the oldest of all of the apostles. He is probably the only one left living. He is now exiled on the island of Patmos. And being exiled on the island of Patmos, he is separated from all of his friends. Separated from all of the people that he has ministered to. Separated from all of the other disciples of Jesus. And so as he hears the gospel applied to his life by his Lord and Savior Jesus, he hears that there will be no more sea. There will be no more anything that's separating him from his friends. 
There will be no more anything that is separating him from the people that he loves. There will be no more sea and there will be no more death. That all of those separations are going to be taken away in the resurrection by this amazing Savior, Jesus, who comes in in order to erase separations by his resurrection. And that's something that we have to look forward to. Because in this life, our separations so often come from our sins. In fact, the way that God created us was for community. God created us in order to live with one another in harmony. It's our sin that came in and separated us. And so it only makes sense that in the resurrection, that what happens is that his gospel brings us back together. Back together in a life that, well, we can't even really imagine We can't really even imagine what it's like to live in that kind of a world because we can't imagine what it is to live in a world without sin. We can't imagine what it's like to live in a world without our own sin or the sins of other people because that's just what we've grown up with. We know no different. We know in our lives that people die and that they are separated from us. And we can't really imagine a world in which that doesn't happen. We know that in our lives, people are separated from us because of our sins and because of their sins. And that's just the way that this world is. And we can't imagine anything that's much different than that. But that's where this gospel lesson, I think, really comes and brings it all together. As Jesus talks about what it's going to be like when we see him again. When we see him again in the resurrection. And he paints this picture for us that I don't feel like I am qualified to talk about, but I'm going to try to do it anyway. He paints this picture for us of what it's like what it's going to be like for us to live in that life. And he says, it's going to be like if you're pregnant. Now, I've never been pregnant. And I will never be pregnant. But I can get a sense of what Jesus is meaning here. That this life that we have right now, well, it's like being pregnant. It's like knowing that we have this life within us. It's like knowing that life is is in there. But at the same time, being distant from the thing that is inside of us. But that growing inside of us because of his gospel implanted in our lives, we have a life that there is no longer any more sin that separates us. Living inside of us, there is a life that no longer has any more death that is living inside of us. Living inside of us, there is this amazing experience of God's full grace that we will experience on the day when he comes back. And on that day when he comes back, our experience of that life 
will be like the difference between being pregnant and holding that baby in your arms. That that moment is going to be a moment in which there no longer is any separation. The sea will go away. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Sin and death will have been conquered because of this great champion in our lives, Jesus, who has come to die on a cross and raise again from a tomb to give us that new life without sin, without separation, so that we then can walk into that resurrection with our hair done up in broken glass, limping left on broken heels, and saying to one another, So this is how a resurrection really feels. Amen.